Hello everybody, welcome to Matt Hummer podcast number 181. It's the one we've probably been dreading to some extent uh, and we kind of shackled ourselves to some weeks ago because today, after we promised to do it, weeks and weeks ago on the Matt Hummer podcast, we are going to be painstakingly going through the Metallica Blacklist collection. It dropped on Friday, it is out in the world right now, and we are delving into all, I think it's 53 covers today. We're gonna to go through every single one, some in more depth than others, obviously, because some are kind of just like, not really worth going into as much. Um, and we will be talking about, uh, uh, what, are you making, what are you making hand things at me, Steve? 63. Is it? Apparently so. Oh, 63? No, 63 artists. So. So, so, what? Oh, yeah, because there's more than one artist on some track. Good, glad we clarified that. Anyway, Steve's here. How are you doing, Steve? I'm all right, thanks, mate. I'm good. Yeah, I'm looking for. I'm actually really looking forward to this. Nice to come on and talk about different music, isn't it? Yeah, true. There's going to be a lot of artists we don't normally get to talk about on here and some artists that we are actually quite big fans of on the side as well. Also joining us, as well as Mr. Steve, who does like writing and stuff and podcasts for us, you know the drill, is Mel Hummer Deputy Editor. Miss Elena Goodman, how's it going now? Hi, it's going well. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm excited to get into this as well. We're going to kind of uh, have to just kick on with it, really, because there's so much to get stuck into that, um, I mean, it's just going to be a big and just by necessity. We were kind of talking about this announcement um, when the Blacklist got announced weeks ago and we promised we'd come back and go through every single song. So that is what we're going to do. But before we do all that, uh, I'm excited to say that the brand new issue of Metal Hammer magazine is out right now. It's launched today. We're recording this Thursday afternoon, like a matter of hours before you're going to hear the podcast. And the new issue of Metal Hammer is out right now. It is our tribute to the one and only Joey Jordison, the Slipknot legend, the metal icon, uh, he was, of course, taken from us in July at the age of only 46 years old. And so, uh, well, we knew that um, as soon as we could realistically make it happen, we were going to do a Jody Jordison cover. And so we put together the ultimate tribute to his unbelievable career, taking you from the very earliest days of Slipknot up until his final works with Sinsanum. And we cover pretty much everything in between from Murder Dolls to Scar the Martyr to Vimich. Uh, his legendary guess what with Metallica, of course, at Download 2004. His early life before Slim, not even. Uh, it's all in there. And uh, I have to say, it's all handled with the most immense amount of care and respect and emotion by the brilliant Paul Brannigan. Um, we were really pleased to have Paul write this one because he was actually the first ever UK journalist to even meet Joey uh, over 20 years ago. And so he's done a fantastic job digging into Joey's career. It talks to a wealth of people from Joey's life and all the bands he's worked with. Uh, we've got a very special additional interview as well with Joey's dear friend and Murdered Old's bandmate Wednesday 13 that was done by the man with me today, Mr. Stephen Hill. Really good stuff in there as well. Uh, I mean, these issues are never exactly fun to put together. They're not the issues that you want to have to put together, but it just wouldn't feel right to not have Joey on the cover of Mount Hammer right now. So we've gone all out. We hope you appreciate it. We hope we've done him justice. Uh, and uh, you can pick that issue up right now at shops across the UK. And we have a very limited amount of copies available online too at tinyurl.com slash gethammer. Uh, that's tinyurl.com slash gethammer. And uh, yeah, please go and pick uh, that up if you see fit. You've got about a month to do it. Uh, um, I also want to can I just oh, say, sorry, be on, mate. before we go any further, just on that. Um, sure. I Speaking to... Um, to Wednesday, 
Wednesday actually, I've never done this before, but Wednesday made me cry in the interview because the way he spoke about Joey was so beautiful and so lovely and it made you sort of realise what a, an amazing person Joey was that I actually had a little bit of a tear up on the phone to him. We, we both sort of ended up having a bit of a tear up on the phone. So as you said that and I reminded him, I was like, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was lovely. It was lovely. It's a really, really... It's a nice piece, and, so, and some of that interview did make it in, in its way to the main cover feature as well. There's an amazing Metallica story in there that um, Wednesday told Steve about uh, that's in there as well. It's a really, really great. I mean, this, this isn't even like the main feature. It's kind of the additional bolt-on thing we did with Wednesday because it was so good, um, and Steve had such a great and emotional conversation with him. We thought it needed its own space. So, yeah, as I said, that's all in the latest issue of Metal Hammer that's out right now. It's a really, really great, um, great tribute to Joey, and, uh, yeah, as I said, I hope everyone enjoys it. Um, and I also want to shout out, of course, our excellent sponsors, the one and only Killstar. Uh, they have an awesome new range called Occult Minds, which looks absolutely badass. Uh, if you want to look simultaneously cool as fuck while looking metal as hell, you need to go over to tinyurl.com slash killstarhammer right now. That's tinyurl.com slash Killstar Hammer. Uh, Killstar are always introducing new ranges, new merchandises, whether it's clothing, accessories, lifestyle items, or even homeware. Still need to get me those uh, demonic looking salt and pepper pots they've got on the site. Uh, Killstar has what you need. Spooky season is up and running. It's Halloween next month. You need to get kitted out. So go over to killstar.com now uh, using our special link as well, tinyurl.com slash Killstar Hammer and uh, get stuck in to all of that. Right, I think we should just swing straight into this. To celebrate 30 years of the Black Album, Metallica assembled one of the most varied and vast and impressive cast lists of artists ever to pay tribute to the Black Album with a series of covers of every single track across the album. There are 50, I think there might be more than 53 because the original track list I had uh, in the press release, there was at least one song that I found on the Spotify album that didn't seem to be listed in the press release so i don't know basically there's over 50 songs here um 50 covers by just an insane range of artists artists you probably never would think you see associated with metallica so we're going to get stuck straight into it and uh, the album is entirely ordered uh, by the track list of the original black album so all the enter sandman covers are first then it's all the sabbath true covers etc etc and they decided to open with uh, an Enter Sandman cover of an artist that I personally was not familiar with, uh, Alessia Cara and The Warning. Uh, Alessia Cara is a Canadian singer-songwriter. She has 17 million monthly streams on Spotify, so obviously a big old deal. Uh, and The Warning are a Mexican rock band who actually went viral some years ago for a cover of Enter Sandman on their YouTube page. So this is kind of uh, throwing back to something that came out a little while back. Um, I like this uh, Alessia Cara and Warning cover of Enter Sandman. It's kind of... Still very much a rock cover. Uh, it reorchestrates the track a little bit while keeping all the recognisable hooks in place. Um, it still keeps that kind of original breathing menace underneath it, but I think it stands just about differently enough to, to stand on its own. Like, I don't know if I would come back to it, but I thought it was a perfectly serviceable uh, opening to the album. What did you make of this cover, L? L's gone. <laughs> That's a pretty damning, uh, damning thing. We just lost Elle. She's just got off the podcast. Well, carry on, Steve. It's fine. Steve, what did you think of this opening cover? Um, now, I, I think this is a kind of a pretty decent version of a, a sort of modern pop version of a classic song, which is a trope which has been 
bandied around quite a lot over the years, isn't it? I mean, I, I have to say, I was immediately terrified that I was going to hate it when the opening vocal came in. I was a bit like, oh God, they're going to John Lewis core this up a little bit or just make it a little bit too shiny, turn it into like a Glee song. But I ended up feeling quite good about it. And I think it's just because the musicians in The Warning, I think actually do a pretty good job at changing the pace and the rhythm and the feel of the song a fair bit. I mean, I think the whoa, whoa, woes can fuck right off, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> but but um, I don't think that's good. But I think overall, they they have kind of turned it into a modern pop version of Enter Sandman. And depending on your um, how much rope you give that style i think this is an okay version of it i think the vocals are a little bit cloying a little bit um but i'm glad they at least tried to do something rhythmically a little bit different with it that's kind of as as nice as i would be about it to be honest that is totally fair l's back l's back in Yay. the roof hi l uh, we lost you for <laughs> a second there um the next cover is uh and sandman again of course this one by Mac DeMarco, uh, Mac DeMarco, another Canadian singer-songwriter. I thought this one was pretty much, you know, another kind of fairly straight ahead cover. It's got a little bit of a bluesy, regnet kind of vibe to it, which is kind of cool. But, I mean, it's pretty faithful. Again, nothing that's particularly blown my mind. What did you make of Mac DeMarco, L? Yeah, um, I listened to some of his other stuff because I hadn't heard of him before. And it all has that weird kind of sounds slightly out of tune guitar twang feel to it. And it sounds a bit like it's recorded in a garage and it's fine. I don't love it. It's just fine. Fair. That is fair. Um, the next one is uh, one of the biggies for us metal hammer types and metal heads. A ghost doing Enter Sandman. Now this is probably not um, something completely surprising to people uh, who kind of follow Ghost closely because they did do a cover um, pretty much like this one. This is essentially a retread of the cover they did a couple of years back in honour of Metallica receiving Sweden's Polar Music Prize uh, Award. Uh, it's got a kind of spooky atmospheric piano intro that kind of sets this apart. Um, but then it kind of delves into, again, a fairly faithful cover of the song, albeit admittedly with some added uh, very ghost-esque trimmings, bursts of piano and vocal twin harmonies and those kind of those like ghosty guitar licks that you kind of recognise. Um, I'm not sure Tobias's vocals work super well on this song, to be honest. I don't know if I dig his voice on a track like this, but I do love the very ghosty elements that uh, the, the cover has musically. Uh, what did you think of this version, Steve? I thought it started really well. I mean, anything that really fucks with the formula a lot, I'm I'm probably going to be a little bit kinder to, because I think if you are covering a song, particularly a song as well known as this, you kind of want to muck around with it as much as possible. And I thought Ghost started very, very well. And I loved the kind of, like you say, the ghosty creepiness of it. I think it did kind of develop into a fairly kind of straight ahead cover of it, albeit a bit more of a sort of... Um, you know, blue blue oyster culty, smoky hard rock rather than a kind of, you know, San Francisco um thrash metal version of the song. I think this is this is kind of what I expected. And it's kind of annoying because the opening part it kind of wouldn't have been the opening part I I kind of I liked that I that I sort of it went, oh this feels right. But and I like the fact that I didn't really know what was coming. But then I sort of felt like they, they almost lost their nerve a little bit. I feel like, and they that I would have liked to have seen a full blown kind of um, 
creepy goth ballad made out of it. And I think they very quickly went into, oh shit, we'd better cover into Sandman. I think it's all right. I like the start more than I like the rest of it, to be honest. I'd probably agree with that. L, any uh, any extra thoughts to add to Ghost? I like it because it's really hard judging a cover song. It's like, do you want the cover song to be the same as the original song? Do you want someone to do something completely different with it? Do you want it to sound exactly like the artist that's covering it? And I think Ghost falls into that third category. It literally just sounds like a ghost song. If Ghost came out with this song, I mean, maybe, yeah, like you said, Tobias's singing would be a little bit different. The lyrics would be a little bit different. But by and large, it sounds like a ghost song. They've got that sort of legato piano feel and it sounds spooky. And their guitars are all tuned to whatever tuning ghosts use on their guitars. So I think it's pretty good because there are covers on here that just kind of try to sound like the original one. And at least the ghost one sounds like a ghost song. So if mm. you're a fan of ghosts, you can be like, I like this. It's like a ghost song. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's, it's interesting to see which artists just went for a straight out cover of some of these tracks and which ones really tried to turn it into something completely different. There's some really interesting ones coming up. Uh, another Enter Sandman cover, this one by a Colombian artist called, I'm going to say Juanes. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation. Sorry if I butcher any uh, uh, artist names on here because there's a few that I haven't um, come across before. Uh, again, packing 11 million monthly Spotify listeners. So like, this is quite a good album for or it has been a good album for educating me on like major artists from different territories I'm just totally ignorant to because uh, there's some very, very big artists from different music scenes on here that I've, I've literally never heard of and um, and Juanes is one of them. I thought this cover was fine. Turns it into a kind of funky, fun, crunchy rock song. Uh, he takes some of the notes out of the main riff as well, which is a bit jarring, but kind of fun. Um, I thought this was, again, thought it was fine. Anyone got anything to add to fine for the Juanes cover? I, I like the way that he's changed. He's, he's obviously a very talented dude and he's, he's gone out of his way to change the riff more than anyone else who's done it a Sandman. And that for me um, kind of elevates it beyond most of the Inter Sandman covers here, I would say. Um, I don't think it's an amazing, amazing cover, but I think he seems to me like he's put more thought into how he can make this song different than anyone else who has covered this particular song. So I, I personally appreciated that. I think just fucking around with the riff a little bit um, it gives the song a bit of a different feel and yeah I, I, I think this would be my my silver um, of the, the Enter Sandman covers well I strongly suspect forgive me for putting words in your mouth Steve but I strongly suspect certainly the gold maybe the gold for all of us out of the Enter Sandman covers is the next one Rina Sawayama one of the most exciting interesting experimental alternative pop artists on the scene today if you're not into Rina Sawayama honestly go check her last album out it's so good um, her doing Enter Sandman is a fucking blast. And whatever I thought she was going to do with it, it wasn't this. Because she basically it turns turns it into a kind of shiny Ramstein-esque industrial metal banger. Like, it's absolutely awesome. Um, it still keeps the Metallica kind of spirit in it. It still feels like super metal. But it's kind of 
turned it into a different kind of metal song, which is such a, a unique idea. It's like, I'm going to make this still metal, but it's going to be from a slightly different genre of the metal world now. Uh, and I never would have thought that Rina would have done that. I really, one of my common complaints with a lot of these um, covers that really fuck about with the song is when they still bring Hetfield's original vocals into it. I think it's quite jarring when a lot of other artists do it, but I really like the way Rina does it. Like she turns them into these weird little kind of subversive samples that just kind of like blare up over the song. Uh, sound, they, they sound really cool. I love the production on the song. It sounds massive. I love the percussion on this song as well. It's got like a few extra things going on. Uh, it just goes off. I think it's awesome. What are you saying, Al? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously my favorite one. It just sounds, it's got that semi-industrial feel. I'm always wear my heart on my sleeve about how much I love industrial slash new metal. It looks like, sounds like something that would be in like a revamp of Queen of the Damned or something where <laughs> they walk into that club. And I like the fact that she sounds like she's having fun. That bit at the beginning where she just pauses and she goes, shh. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that was awesome. She, it's just cool. It's cool and it's fun and it's modern and it kind of nods to different genres of metal and I'm into it. Back in that, Steve? 100%. I mean, I back everything you said. I think Rina Sawayama. Sawayama, the album that she put out last year, I think was in my top 10 albums of 2020. I think it's fucking brilliant. She's basically like if Poppy was good. You know what I mean? If Poppy, <laughs> if, if Poppy could actually write good songs, she'd be Rina Sawayama. Like, th this is like why I think the hype around Poppy, I'm like, well, we, we've got one of these people and she's much better. Um, she's fucking brilliant. She's fucking brilliant. This might be the best version of Enter Sandman, including Metallica's version. Ooh. It is fucking brilliant. Like, the broken beats, um, the way that she just, like, that stop-start rhythm is, is so great. I think... If I was being super, super, super harsh, um, she sounds less like herself and more like somebody doing a, a sort of quote-unquote rock singer voice on this particular track. Sure. That would be the only... That is a really, really slight um, criticism I have of it. But I think in terms of the composition of the song, taking this song and not really fucking with the formula that much but still making it sound really really different yeah this is this is the it's shit tops. it's fucking it great tops. so great um which not that i was you know i mean i don't think any of us are like gigantic weezer fans to be honest um but i am uh, I mean, you are, aren't you, Steve? Sorry. Massive yeah. Weezer you are. fan. Yeah. Big Weezer fan. Well, okay. I was going to say this to me makes the Weezer cover just sound a bit uh, limp by comparison because it's fine. But it's just, it's just Weezer doing against Sandman. I mean, it's literally just like, what do you think Weezer doing against Sandman sound like? That's it. You know what this sounds like now. Um, is that fair? Um, uh, it's a bit worse than that. I think this is an absolute <laughs> piece of shit, to be honest. I think... Uh, <laughs> I was we, trying to be nice. I had my yeah, neutral hat on. <laughs> this is a, a bit of a monstrosity. Um, Weezer did the Teal album uh, a couple of years ago, which was them doing... Obviously, they, they kind of went viral, didn't they, from doing their... They went like dad rock. Yeah, for doing that cover of um, Africa by Toto. And the Teal album is a load of really, really obvious covers done, not even Weezified, really. They just do them, they just do them really, really straight. And I, I, Weezer are not suited to Enter Sandman or Metallica or Metal. And Bless Rivers, who is, you know, an unbelievable songwriter, one of the greatest songwriters that the United States of America has ever produced. But a mentalist an absolute lunatic he's got no quality control whatsoever 
Um, I love Weezer. I think Weezer has made some of the best albums, some of my favourite albums ever. They've also made some dreadful music. Absolutely dreadful. And this cover of Enter Sandman, and them chucking in a bit of Buddy Holly at the end of it. Oh, yeah. Like, I'd, I'd scrub that why, from my memory. I forgot Why are you doing it? It's, this is... Um, Weezer really try my patience. I want to love them always because when they're great, they're so great, but they can just be so terrible. And unfortunately, this is an example of Weezer being all the the, the worst of Weezer. Really upsetting to listen to. Oh dear. Well, look, it's not definitely not the best uh, Enter Cover Sandman, um, Enter Sandman cover, put it that way. Uh, we're 20 minutes deep and we've gone through one song on the Black Album, so this is going to be, uh, we should probably speed up through some of these. Uh, Sad But True, it says live on it, I don't really understand why, um, but it says Sad But True Live by Sam Fender, UK singer-songwriter, he's a big deal here in the UK. I'm sure some people listening might think they don't know him, but you've probably heard some of his songs on radio and things like that um it's he's he's turned sabbath true into kind of a piano led strings and all ballads it's easy to be cynical about a cover like this and i don't think it's great but i do i do kind of applaud them at least for trying to do something different um but i you know it's sad but true and he's made it sound a bit wet so it's not really for me what do you reckon Al? Yeah, I feel exactly the same. It's completely defanged, kind of sounds self-indulgent. It sounds like it would be something that is made for a performance at the Brits or something where it's just kind of really neutered and mainstream and just is made to sound like it means something when it doesn't, even though it does mean something in the original. And I think I have a similar problem with the Weezer one in that it sounds really limp. I think the covers that fail on this record are often in the vocals where some people can change the vocal style and still mean it emotionally. Some people just kind of take the words and sing them and there's nothing in it. And even though this one's trying to sound emotional, for me, there's just no emotion in it. Mm. And same with the Weezer one as well. Fair. You look yeah. like you were gagging to get stuck in, Steve. What were you going to say? Yeah, just fucking John Lewis Christmas advert bullshit, isn't it? Absolute yeah. boring piano ballad over emoting surface crap. Not yeah. good. Yeah, can't really add anything more than that. Uh, Jason uh, Isbell and the 400 Unit. This is an Alabama country artist uh, and he's turned Sabbath True into a country hoedown. And, you know, this is quite fun. Like, it kind of works. Um, I think it would be good fun. I, like, this is the kind of thing where if I was at somewhere like Glastonbury and I saw someone doing, like, a country set and they just busted out this cover, I'd be like, well, what, this is mad. And I'd really enjoy it and think it was really good fun. I don't know if I'd come back and actually listen to it, though, that all said. Thoughts on this, Steve? Um, well, considering Metallica would very shortly after the Black Album kind of um, lean on in on that kind of country yep. stuff on the load uh, duo of albums. Um, I think this kind of um, it's a funny little juxtaposition of styles from, you know, in, in that respect, I think. And uh, I I think this is OK. I think it's not a bad idea with a song like this to go down to sort of outlaw country vibe, because I think that's something which. Is obviously very much in James Hetfield's wheelhouse quite a lot. And I think it makes a, a, a bit of... I mean, there are people that do this throughout this record um, and it makes less sense. But I think it kind of makes sense with this song. It's, like you say, it's not brilliant. I'm not going to... Probably not going to go back to it. But I think it's it's decent enough. I think it's okay. Fair. Um, the next one is uh, the Mexican Institute of Sounds, which is an EDM project created by Mexican DJ uh, Camila Lara. Uh, they're doing sad but true as well. It's weird that 
a Latino kind of almost reggaeton version of Sad But True is the first one that really makes proper use of that iconic riff, like the biggest part of that whole song. Um, and this is just daft club fodder, isn't it? Like, it sounds like it should be getting blared onto the streets of Cancun at 5 a.m. Um, it's probably not a song I'd sit and listen to in my spare time. I actually think it's quite good fun, ironically, uh, until Hetfield's vocals are brought in, and then I find it quite jarring, and then it sounds a bit weird, and it doesn't really work, and it, I, I don't know. Like, it's a bit of a mess, but it's kind of fun, and um, I don't know. It's made for a very specific environment, I think. L. Yeah, I feel exactly the same. I actually really like this one because it's doing something different. It's a completely different genre mixing with metal and it's really fun to listen to. And if it came on, you're out somewhere, you'd be, you'd kind of, it would come on and you would be like, carry, you'd carry on dancing because you'd just be like, oh yeah, it's this. And then it would go into being a Metallica song. You'd be like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Um, and obviously Camilo Lara is really talented. He works on Pixar's Coco and you can tell that he knows what he's doing. Um, I didn't yeah, know that. Bit... That's awesome. I love that film and soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and it's got a rap in the middle, which is super cool as well, because it, it kind of just takes you on this journey. And yeah, it is a bit messy with that random James Hetfield vocal towards the end. But it's got like, yeah, the reggaeton, brass, a rap in the middle, the sad but true riff. It's like a lot of fun stuff together, even if it's not that coherent. So I'm quite into this one, to be honest. Sure. Why not? Uh, anything to add to that, Steve? I actually quite like it. I think it does with sort of salsa and Latino rhythms what Asian Dub Foundation would have done with a kind of Bangra thing. Um, but also, like you say, with adding in... It's weird, isn't it, that Hetfield's vocal is the one thing where you're like, this would kind of... It works for me. And apart from, like, you know, Hetfield's vocals do stand out like a massive sore thumb on it. But I actually really liked it. I think, you know, the rhythms are cool. And again... The song lends itself to massive hip hop beats. It's more of a remix than a cover, isn't it? Really, I think like there's yeah, there's a sort of important distinction to be made between a remix of a song and a cover of a song. And this, to me, feels much more like a remix of Sad but True rather than a cover. But I, I actually, I actually quite liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, fair, fair play. Um, Royal Blood are up next. One of the kind of bigger rock names on here. Uh, I've got no beef with Royal Blood. I'm not a big fan of them, but you know, I think they are fine as a band. I think the problem that a lot of rock bands have with approaching a song like this, and maybe it's one of the reasons that you know this isn't a particularly rock centric collection, is that when you're playing a song like this fairly straight, you're playing Sad but True. You're playing one of Metallica's most iconic songs, one of the most iconic riffs ever brought into heavy metal um and not only that but you've got to compete with that bob rock produced guitar tone which is one of the best and greatest production jobs on any album ever so it's so good that the album still sounds fucking great and you've got to compete with james hetfield's vocals and this is one of his most imperious kind of chest beating vocal performances ever i think you're just kind of you're just starting at a handicap as a rock band if you just approach this song straight. And I just think, you know, they've kind of done, it's kind of like Weezer, they've kind of just done Royal Blood doing Sad But True. It's fine. Like, I don't think it's objectively terrible, but it's just, you can't possibly compete to, uh, with a song like that, I don't think. What do you think, Steve? Waste of time. Like you've said, it, it's a complete waste of time. And I think a band as unimaginative as Royal Blood, um, it, it shows off all of their limitations as a band. And I mean, we'll talk about a band who you could kind of consider a peer of Royal Blood, certainly of the same scene, a much more popular band that who who are doing a cover of a song in a minute. And I think 
the objective difference in quality between Royal Blood and the band we're about to talk about is obvious when you listen to their covers on this record because Royal Blood... Shout, shout out YB. Yeah, shout out <laughs> YB. Um, but no, but but well, I have to say, Biffy Clyro getting hold of a Metallica song and Royal Blood getting hold of a Metallica song. I mean, that is objective proof there as to why Biffy Clyro headline download and Royal Blood are not, I would say. And probably won't. Yeah, um, I kind of made that YB joke, by the way. I actually quite like that cover. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, anything to add to the to the Royal Blood uh, version? I feel like there's just not a whole lot to say about this. It feels so flat. It feels so flat and emotionless. I get absolutely nothing from it. I think that's pretty fair. By the way, I think Royal Blood are actually like a bigger band in quite a lot of ways than Biffy. They definitely are a bigger band across streaming and stuff like that. So I don't know if they're objectively significantly smaller. But um, yeah, it's interesting to see that they obviously don't have the well didn't have the thought process coming into this to do something different um someone that definitely did is saint vincent who does the next version of sad but true a former member of the polyphonic spree i feel like quite a lot of people know who saint vincent is now she's like badass guitarist she played with Dua Lipa. she's kind of like getting a lot more media exposure right now because she is super cool and she has turned sad but true into a filthy nine inch nails-esque throbbing industrial club anthem uh very different take I suspect you might like this L or am I being presumptuous? Slightly presumptuous. I really, oh, okay. really want I really want to like it because I love the beat. It just it just rips off Night Nails closer, let's face it. And I really like that it's different. And I really like what the intention of this is, song is. I really like what she's tried to do with it. But her vocals feel really low down. And again, I don't feel like they have a lot of depth. When the guitar comes in, I don't think it sounds great. Um, I feel like the idea was all there and I want to love it, but it's just missing a few bits and pieces that I think would take it into being like a really, really good song. Fair dues. Uh, next up, we've got White Reaper with Sad But True. Uh, well, Steve, you gagging to have a say on something? Yeah, too? yeah. I, wanted to, I, want, I want to say how good that is. I mean... Oh, sorry, I, go I, on. I was just, I'm just I, trying not to do every song for three Yeah, no, 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 no. Go for it, go for um, it. Um, St. Vincent's great. Um, her album that came out last year, Daddy's Home, is is really, really good. I think, personally, this sounds like it's something that could be on the Labyrinth soundtrack. Um, Ooh, it's got this elect- electro-stalking, elegant excellence to it. I think it's a really sexy version of the song. The backing vocals are brilliant. The electronic bass um, line that goes throughout it. And they've got, at the end to, as well, this really discordant guitar solo. I think this is... Um, I think you're doing it a disservice, Eleanor. I think this is a, an, an excellent cover, personally. Well, yeah, uh, our writer who did um, the piece on the website really um, loved it. He's, like, ranked them all. If you don't like our ranking, you can go on and read a ranking online uh, by Richard S. Hay. And I, like I said, I really wanted to like it. Um, it's got everything in it that I like. There's just something that just didn't land with me as well as it should have done, I guess. I rank it somewhere in the different. middle. I rank it somewhere in the middle of you two, I think. I think I do like it. It's one I'll probably play quite a bit again. Uh, it's definitely... It probably is my favourite version of Sad But True on here, actually. But it's probably not one that I'm like, ah, oh, about. But I, I, I do think it's cool. Um, White Reaper up next with Sabbath True, US Garage Rock Band. I had not heard of this lot, to be absolutely honest with you. Um, again, something of a straight up cover. I thought it was a bit better than Royal Bloods because they kind of lend a scuzzier production on it and it's more in line with uh, their style. Um, but again, it's an ironic, it's ironic, it's an iconic rock song and a rock cover of a rock song as iconic as this is just going to pale by comparison, I think. Uh, fair to say, Steve, again? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, if you're anything like me, you listen to Sad But True and you just go, oh, I wish this, was, this wasn't as heavy. And if you're that person, <laughs> then um, this song's for you. Absolute waste of time. Yeah, fair. Uh, I made a joke. I kind of mentioned YB earlier because I just saw there were another band that weren't Piffy Clara coming up. And they're a South Korean rock band and they have by far done the most interesting but still rocky cover of Sad But True out of all the rock bands that have done it. And they've, cl- they've cleverly kind of sped the riff up but kept it within the same uh, kind of tempo of the overall song. And they've really switched up the percussion on it as well. Um, and I think it works really well. And then they throw in some like brass in there as well later on. They have a slow down, more atmospheric section. Um, it's a really interesting version. And again, it's like, oh, it's a rock band, but they've actually gone, well, let's try and do something a bit different with this track. And I have to commend them for that at least. Right, El? Yeah, I like it too. Uh, I like it a lot more than like Royal Blood's just kind of straight cover. I like it more than the White Reaper kind of garagey vibe. Um, it's cool. I like it. Fair. Um, Shall we move on to one I think we're all quite looking forward to talking about and one that admittedly has been out there for quite a while. Uh, Biffy Clyro's cover of Holier Than Now. It's been out there for a couple of months now. And for me, and I genuinely mean this, this is quickly moving into all-time great rock covers list for me. I think this is one of the best covers of rock song I've ever heard, not just because it's really fucking good, but because it's a brilliant example, as Steve alluded to earlier, of... A rock band, albeit a rock band with a lot of strings to their bow, like Biffy, not only doing a cover of a a song that it's so unexpected what they've done with it, but it manages to sound almost like a completely different band altogether. It's basically like the best ghost song never written. And yet it still sounds so much like Biffy Clyro. Like it doesn't sound exactly like ghost. It sounds like Biffy Clyro taking Metallica and doing a atmospheric, twinkly, haunting, luscious, ghosty version of fucking holier than thou. And they've turned it into a completely different song. Like the chorus that they've done on this cover hits so differently to the way the Metallica one hits you. Um, I hope they play this live. I think it would be a really smart move to play this at Download, for instance, when they headline next year. I think this is fucking great. Uh, Am I being over the top with my praise there, Steve? Not at all. Biffy Clyro, one of the best bands at doing covers ever. Um, if anyone's heard their Buddy Holly cover, which by Weezer, which I actually haven't heard that completely unrecognizable from Buddy Holly, completely unrecognizable. And again, yeah, like they've just completely changed this song and they've turned it into what to me feels like a classic Biffy Clyro song. And you hear the bits from it and you go, oh yeah, that's really recognisable as that Metallica song. The lyrics are the same. The Occasionally the cadence might be slightly similar. But there's, they've really just written another song. Yeah. And for, for my, this is, like I know I said it about Arena Sawayama. I mean, I really mean it with this. This is better than the Metallica version. Like this is straight up better. Like it's not even, not even close. I mean, like, I, I love Holier Than Now is one of my favourite songs on the Black Album. They they played it, um, I saw them in New York five years ago and they started with Bread Fan and then they went straight into Holier Than Now. And I think I'd seen them play Holier obviously on the Black Album tour, but apart from that, it was the first time I'd seen them play either of those tracks and it remains one of my favourite ever opening to a Metallica gig. I really love this cover. Uh, sorry, this the original. But I don't know, man. Like, the first time I heard Biffy's version of this chorus, it hit me in a very, like I said, a very, very different emotional way to the way the original did. And I 
Oh, I might end up feeling the same way as you see, to be honest. I'm not going to cast that kind of judgment yet because it's a big fucking call, but... I, I, I don't think it's even... I don't think you can have any other opinion, to be honest. I can't <laughs> believe I can't believe anyone could look me in the eye and go, the Metallica version is better. It's just not. Um, there's the opening is just this weird little electronic noise things, which is legitimately surprising for a Metallica cover and even for Biffy Clyro and the refrain that they keep coming back to, which I mean, like you say, Simon just makes the chorus sound completely different. And as they break it down at the end, it's amazing. That breakdown at the end is brilliant. Mm. It's a weird prog rock electro ballad that of of a kind of of one of the heavier songs or more kind of thrash songs on this record. Mm. I agree. It's so unbelievably imaginative. And the thing and it throws more ideas at the song than Metallica do without and that that is an objective fact yeah and the thing is is that Biffy if Biffy wanted to just do a straight up thrashy metal cover of this song they could fucking do that they've got that in their locker if they want to do it but they didn't do that they pushed the boat out um are you as effusive as Stephen I L yeah it's brilliant are we allowed to say which is our favorite song yet <laughs> uh well I, I'm happy to say this is my favorite cover on the album to be honest yeah, yeah it's mine as well I think it um completely changes the song uh, and the feel of the song and just create something new that is just as good I'm going to say just as good as the original in a different way I'm going to sort of put them on the I don't think you can compare them it's like the whole can you compare apples and oranges thing they're just different songs really apples <laughs> depends which one you prefer doesn't it um, and there's no, always a- apples kind are of... objectively better <laughs> uh, oranges are objectively better what are you on about no too hard to eat fuck oranges apples give me stomachache anyway <laughs> It's uh, there's that music journalism joke. Well, there's lots of music journalism jokes, but that there's that whole thing about like angular riffs and how it doesn't mean anything, but like people use it. But I always feel with Biffy Clyro, you can like say angular riffs, and everyone's like, yeah, angular riffs, that means a thing. And this it starts out and just carries on, and there's so much of that kind of angular riff stuff and like the sort of stabbing and the way they play with the rhythms, but then have all the space and in the rest of the song for like that spooky intro like you're talking about and how the chorus kind of swells up really big. There's so many sort of changes of pace, but so many little pauses that it gives you to sort of digest it all as well. And yet it's a coherent whole. Mm. I just think it's really good. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, we've, de- we've deservedly dedicated a lot of time to this version of the cover. If for some reason you've not heard this, uh, any of the covers on this album go listen to the Biffy Clyro version of Holier Than Thou it's so good um, we should probably speed through some of these I'm going to hand over to you Steve for these next three tracks because they're all kind of on the punkier more hardcore slightly post-hardcore in the case of one of them side of the spectrum um, all doing Holier Than Thou first of all we've got the Chats uh, Aussie punk band kind of a scuzzy rock uh, scuzzy punk rock cover then we've got Off who are a hardcore punk band fronted by Keith Morris of Circle Jerks and Black Flag another kind of punky hardcore-y version uh, and then we've got Pup which is slightly more on the I'd say post-hardcore vibe uh, and it, but it's another kind of slightly faster uh, version not faster but kind of more punky version of Holier Than Now how do you rate these three versions Steve? Um, well starting with the chats I think uh, there's a lot of this stuff in Australia and I personally wouldn't say they're the best of it um, Smith Street Band Violent Soho are both better a band I think this is a fairly rudimentary cover isn't it it's a kind of very Ramones-esque cover it's quite a boisterous cover which I think is fine um, 
coming off the back of Biffy, it's quite, you know, it's probably a good idea to put the most rudimentary version of it in there just so, you, you know, that you, you change the feeling up very, very quickly. But I would say it's probably the weakest of the three. Um, Keith Morris from Black Flag and the Circle Jerks is a fucking legend. So um, that's, and he's in Off, that's his band. And I think, like, it's a bit of, again, an odd choice to put those two kind of next to each other. Um, I'm sort of biased because... A, I love Keith Morris, and B, they at least try and fuck with the rhythm a little bit more. But I think of the two, that's the better of the two. Um, they're both sort of quite unreconstructed hardcore versions of a song. Um, I really like the Stooges-esque outro of the off version. I think they try and do something just a little bit different with it slightly. But for me, of the three, the Pup one's the best one. I love Pup. And um, I mean, you call them post-hardcore. I'd say they're almost more of a kind of lo-fi indie punk rock band sometimes. And they're sure. great. Yeah. Um, the, the Dream is Over and Morbid Stuff, their last two records, are both amazing. And I thought this was a really good pick for them. They do a really great version of it. They never go full kind of punk rock with it. They just add a bit of a sneer, a bit of sarcasm. And there's just something that they can't shift in themselves that... It, like, I feel like they're trying to do kind of quite a straight cover, but they give it that kind of two-step, that two-step drum pattern, and they make the vocal pattern a little bit more melodic. And I think they're they're just a band who just they just sound really good, like their their kind of genetic composite makeup pup, everything about them just whatever they try and do they sound really good and i think of the three they're probably the ones that inject the most of their own personality into the cover and i so i would go in terms of the, the those three together it's pop off the chats in terms of how good they are i reckon fair fair uh we've got Corey taylor metal legends Corey taylor doing holier than now next the final version of holier than now probably the most faithful version of holier on this um you know, it, it's good, it's going to suffer from, as we've said, any kind of straight-up rock cover of a Metallica Black Album song. You are just suffering by comparison immediately. But I think this one at least is bursting with a lot of energy. It feels kind of like a fun band jamming session, like something they just got in the studio and just hashed out, which I think gives it a bit more of a spontaneous, fun vibe, so he probably gets away with it. Uh, Corey Taylor is obviously an iconic vocalist as well. He's obviously, you know... I'm sure he won't mind me saying, I don't think he's quite up there with Hetfield in terms of the melodic side of his game, but he's a fucking great vocalist. Um, and I think this is fine. It's good fun. We're plash throw back at the end. Um, anything to add to that, L? I think he's doing a Hetfield. Like, it's funny hearing Corey Taylor doing a Hetfield. And I don't think he's got the power of Hetfield on this song, but that's just because he has a different quality to his voice. So I think it's quite fun that he, like, is sort of deliberately doing a Hetfield. Like you said, it, it sort of sounds like he would just sort of get in the studio and bash this out and have a good time. And obviously he just did the solo album, CMFT, and it's sort of the same vibe to me. It's just a very, very well-known person from the metal world having a good time with a really good song. And that's cool. That is cool. Yeah, that's what I kind of meant really. It's more the power side than the melodic side. Corey's obviously got a great uh, melodic voice, but when you're stepping up to Hetfield, it's difficult. Uh, we've got Cage the Elephant doing the first of the Unforgiven covers next. Metallica fucking love this band. I supported them at quite a few different things in recent years. Um, I saw something saying they're under the same management. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, they certainly are intrinsically linked, it seems. Uh, this is quite an interesting take. Still has the same kind of core structure of The Unforgiven, but it's got slightly punchier percussion, slightly more strained vocal delivery. I think it's quite well done, but it's one of those, again, where it's like The Unforgiven is so powerful and atmospheric and emotional that it's just very difficult to kind of 
keep roughly on the same lines without paling in comparison. Um, I think this cover's fine, I would say. What do you think of it, Steve? I've never got on the caged elephant train at all. I've really tried. Um, I don't understand the sort of love and the hype for them at all, really. And I think, like, I like a lot of indie music. I like, love, love a lot of indie music. And I think... <laughs> Cage Elephant have done a really good job of taking the Unforgiven and stripping it of any gravitas. <laughs> um, and they've sort of turned it into the most boring type of gelatinous indie blob that you can imagine, really. I don't like this cover at all. Fair, fair, fair. Uh, the next cover of the Unforgiven is by a group of Indian artists, uh, Vishal Didlani, uh, Divine and Sure Police. Uh, nice mix of atmospherics on this version, I think, that does a, a definitely a better job of Cage the Elephant than Cage the Elephant of uh, sonically capturing the vibe of the original. Um, but the vocals don't quite work for me. Uh, there's a brief burst of kind of Indian hip hop in there as well, which is quite interesting. Certainly moves the track away from where it was. Um, so tries to do something different. Uh, I applaud it, but I'm not probably mad on it overall as a cover. What did you think of this, L? I liked it a lot, but just because it does so many different things. Uh, object objectively speaking, yeah, maybe it's not like an amazing Metallica cover, but I like the fact that it does go through all these different sections. You've got kind of like low vocals at the beginning and like hand claps, and you've got the hip hop verse, and then you've got a bit that sounds it does. It's not gospel, but there's like these backing vocals that kind of come in and give it sort of like that kind of vibe, and then his voice kind of moves into this higher register towards the end um and it's interesting you don't know what is going to happen from one minute to the next which i think is like a really strong selling point on a record of 53 cover versions by you know with a lot of songs we already know on here like when you put this on you don't know where it's going to go and then it's completely surprising when you listen to it and i think that's just a really uh, positive thing fair fair dues uh next one is diet sick who are one of those artists that i have heard of but are completely kind of oblivious to musically Uh, american i guess i'd call them kind of indie pop i'm gonna look at steve what do you think of this one uh they're a sort of alt indie pop duo diet sick um they've always been a little bit i've gone in on a few of their albums they've always been a little bit too sort of throwaway for me I, i think um this doesn't really work for me so much. I mean, again, I think it's a cool thing to try and do, but it does feel quite jarring. It's sort of super lightweight. I think the super lightweight nature of a band like Diet Sig can't handle, again, the kind of gravitas of this material. I think they should be on the Anthrax covers album rather than the Metallica covers album, which feels more their sort of speed. Um, by the end, they've got used. I, I, I sort of got used to it. I think the slower kind of quiet outro bit, I was a bit like, maybe you should have tried to start with that. Because I think the outro actually, when they when they let it kind of settle right down and go slow towards the end and almost let the song fizzle out a bit, I kind of felt like that was was okay. Maybe it's just because I got used to it. Because I do, do you know what I mean? It's, it's quite a jarring style to try and... Um, fit a song like the unforgiven into isn't it mm. yeah i think that's probably fair did you did you have much love i for liked this one? this one though yeah i was just gonna jump in just to say jump that away. i actually thought this one was good it's quite 90s um and i think once you i guess like you said once you sort of readjust your brain to it sounding 
a bit different. I think it's good and the momentum kind of builds through it. Her vocals are really clean and really clear. Sort of sounds a bit like they're playing some kind of cool club. I think it's actually good. I think they've done something really nice with it. Nice. That's fair. Um, next up is a very different take. Flatbush Zombie. So I really like. Really cool kind of, I think a Brooklyn-based hip-hop uh, group doing their version of The Unforgiven. Um, this 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 one's a really good example of what I've talked about before already. I think the melody of The Unforgiven works really well in this track as it, and the way they've sampled it I think is really good. I like it when it's just the, the sample slightly reworked with Flatbush Zombies just spitting bars over it. I think that's really good. When it loses me is actually when they bring in Hetfield's vocals because it just distracts me and it kind of takes you out of it and it reminds you what it is. Because um, it's one of those where without it, you'd almost have to kind of really listen to it to realise what they're sampling. But because they just bring the vocals in, it just kind of it insists upon itself a bit too much. And I'd much rather they kept that chorus out and just kept the backing music and messed around with that. Um, Elle's nodding a lot. Does that mean you agree with me, Elle? Yeah, definitely. It sounds like when something happens on your computer and you don't know what's happened, like you've got a tab open, <laughs> you know, like when you've got a tab open and it starts playing a song, but you're already listening to a song and you're like, why is this, where's this other song coming from? It's, <laughs> it's like, I'm just enjoying the song and then in come these Hetfield vocals. It's just really disruptive. Fair. What do you reckon of it, Steve? You much of a Flatbush Zombies fan? Um, yeah, yeah, I am actually. I think they, you know, they're obviously, like you mentioned, they're from um, New York. And I think that that kind of East Coast hip hop uh, 90s lineage is something which they lean on a lot. I actually really like this. I think the because because of everything surrounding it being so good, I don't mind Hetfield's vocal coming in on it. I think the verses and the beats um, uh, and the, the, the flow and, and everything about it feels very very unique to them to the point where you're almost you do almost forget it's a cover and it feels very very unrelated to the original song um but that's sort of what a cover's meant to do right like if, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that ideally and i think that hetfield's vocal is just a little reminder of what it actually is because there are points i was like oh this is just a really good kind of hip-hop track like it felt very unrelated to the original, like I say, to the point where it wasn't until I heard Hetfield that I was like, oh yeah, The Unforgiven, that's what I'm listening to. Um, and I really appreciated that. I personally really like this and, you know, it's ticking all of those boxes for me because it does have such a, you know, kind of mid-90s East Coast hip-hop feel to it, which mm. is great. Fair dues. Uh, we got a trio, uh, three more uh, Unforgiven covers on here. One by Heart Ash, um, which is kind of turns it into a bit of a cutesy Latin pop jam, uh, kind of Spanish flamenco guitar elements. There's brass sewn into it, so there's some quite fun stuff. They even switched to Spanish lyrics within the song at one point. Um, there's also a cover by an artist called Jose Madero, uh, uh, Madero, sorry, um, kind of 90% a piano ballad with, with more band action swinging in near the end. Um, and then you've got an artist called Moses Sumney, who's a Ghanaian, uh, Ghanaian American artist uh, who's on the rise. Quite an interesting take in the, in the Moses Sumney version. Doesn't stray a million miles away from the original thematically, but does enough to make it feel quite unique. He's got a really unique, almost vulnerable voice, and I think it adds a slightly different emotional texture to the song. Um, which, which of these three, I mean, well, what do you think of these three tracks? Are? Which, which, which stood out to you out of these three covers? Uh, I like the Hat Ash one. I think it's really cool and I really like the Spanish vocals in that. Um, I just think it's a really cool thing to do. Um, 
and I also liked the Moses Sumney one just because again it sounds quite different and his voice is kind of really the star of this and um it sounds there's some emotion in this one you know my problem with some of the tracks on here um are because they're just covers you maybe can't capture the artist's original intention or the reinterpretation just doesn't sound emotional but there's some emotional this and um that really comes across jose madero that sounds just kind of like it should be in a film score or something it's very earnest again it kind of feels like it sounds really big but there isn't some real emotion in it so probably the moses one is my favorite of the three but the hat ash one is like really fun and interesting fair thoughts thoughts on all that steve all those songs uh the hash one is like yeah i was just like oh that's quite sweet no that's nice um i really like the tonality of the piano on jose madero i thought he was over emoting um on the vocal though so that sort of uh you know i like the delicate nature of how he treated the the material but i did think his voice pissed me off a little bit moses sumney is fucking great he is fucking great. Like, I don't know if it, did you hear his album? That came, he's got an album called Grey that came out last year. No, not and familiar. It's, and it's it's brilliant. It's really good. I think you'd really dig it, mate. It's really good. Um, very unique, very strong image, very instantly recognisable, both in voice and style. Um, he starts it with a bass solo, which is just another example, I think, of somebody thinking about the song differently, which is great. His cadence is really cool. Um, he's got a voice a bit like Terence Trent Darby, or if, do you remember David McCalman? Do you remember McCalman and Butler in the 90s, anyone? David McCalman had a really kind of soaringly, very kind of feminine sounding voice. And I think um, Moses Sumney's got a similar type of voice as well. Um, I really rate him. I'm not sure about the last little bit of the song, which does go a little bit jazz club, but overall, the Moses Sumney version uh, is, I think, is comfortably the best. Comfortably. I would probably uh, agree with that. Uh, next up, we're on to the Wherever I May Roam covers, and we are just straight off the deep end in terms of different interpretations with this covers. It goes fucking mad around this section. Uh, first up is Jay Balvin, who is uh, somebody I'd heard of kind of pop up on like features on pop uh, artists and stuff. I didn't realize quite how big he is. He's a Colombian reggaeton mega weight. Um, he's got nearly 60 million monthly Spotify users. To put that into context, that is more than Billie Eilish, who is one of the single biggest pop stars in the world today. And it's three times as many monthly listeners as Metallica have. So it's like absurd numbers, absurd numbers. Uh, and true to form, he turned this into a, uh, a reggaeton uh, club banger. Uh, and although it kind of, it just kicks into the original at the end, which seems kind of weird and counterproductive in a weird way. But I mean... This is one of those where it's so ridiculous. It's like, well, you either go with it or you don't. Do you know what I mean? Is that fair to say, Steve? Yeah, I mean, so he is the the prince of reggaeton. That's what they call him, isn't it? And mm. he's on Future Nostalgia by Dua Lipa. He's worked yep. with Black Peas, Skepta, Cardi B, uh, Liam Payne, Beyonce, David Guetta, uh, DJ Snake, fucking loads of people. And you're either going to go, oh, yeah, nice, or you're going to go, Oh, fuck off. There's not going to be one reaction or the other to this. Um, I mean, I think to be fair to him, he that he rides that iconic opening riff rather well. Mm. I think it's a li- it's all a bit Love Island, this, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It all gets a little bit Love Island at one point. Not much of an but insult in my house. We love Love Island. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
when he actually lets it kind of break down, and even if it is basically just Metallica, um, he puts a sort of a very seductive beat behind it. And against all of my... I, all of my... <laughs> every, like, will in my body to not like this, I kind of liked it. Fair. L. Yeah, I love it. I think it's really good. <laughs> I think it works really, really well. Let's it's embrace really our cool, basicness. Who cares? It's a really cool mix of it. Uh, it's fun. What's wrong with having fun? And yeah, when it kind of goes into Metallica version, I'm like, oh, I don't really care. I was enjoying it before. But, um, <laughs> Metallica ruining their own cover song. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, it's fun. Again, it's kind of like the... Um, uh, it's kind of like the one from earlier... Which one am I thinking of? The Mexican Institute of Sound, Sad But True version. It's like, it's fun. What's the harm in it? If you were out somewhere and it came on, you'd probably dance to it. You you, you, you dance to it, <laughs> <Bring> on wood. <laughs> uh, next up uh, is uh, one of my favourite electronic artists, to be honest, Chasing Status, arena drum and bass legends. Um, kind of similar-ish treatment in terms of like, you could hear it, you could definitely see it dropping in a club or something, but they've got an MC on there called uh, Black Road who... Uh, turns it into kind of more of a more of a grime vibe, I'd say. Um, and I do actually really like what they've done with the track. The only thing on this for me, um, it's, it's kind of shamelessly larry. It's like fun and it just it's bouncy and it works. I'd have actually liked a lot more of Black Road in there. I think he if it, it constantly feels for me like he's almost warming up to spit some proper verses, and then it never actually happens. It's kind of like Flavor Flav just jumping around hyping people up and then you're just waiting for the actual verses to drop and they never really get there. So that let the song down a little bit for me, but I still liked overall what they did with it. It's probably not what I totally would have expected from Chase and Status, even though they do do quite a lot of this kind of stuff as well. Uh, what did you think of this, Steve? Yeah, I liked it. I think um, you're quite right. I mean, there's a bit where, where Back Road is going, um, Nomad, Vagabond, and it's like that, like, because you're like, oh yeah, that's taking, obviously taking the lyrics of the song and just kind of spitting them out like a, like, yeah, well, like what he is as a grime MC. And, um, you know, I think if you're going to do a song like this and you're going to do it in this way, you need a fucking hilarious fuck MC to do it. And I, I agree with you. Like the thing I've, I've actually written down just when you think they're going to let it drop, they don't. And I've said, it's beautifully frustrating because I think it really could, it really could kick in massively. But I kind of admire the restraint that Chase and Status have, have, have shown on this cover to not do the obvious thing. Having said that, I would have liked to have heard them suddenly go and sub-dropped it and everyone go mental. That would have been great. But I don't know. I think it's an interesting stylistic choice to to make it like a, an almost sort of um, massive attacky style, uh, like bubbling beneath the surface, which is, you know, still cool. I feel quite protective of this one because there are so many artists on here and there are so many from the States and South America and this is so British and they mention Brixton like as soon as it starts and you know I'm sitting here like not that far from Brixton and it just makes me kind of go like this song should be protected like this is so British (laughs) it's so British and I'm not a patriotic person but I think on a massive covers album with so many artists I kind of like want to I think it's cool to have something represented that is kind of like a bit British, a bit London. Yeah, I think the one time it's definitely okay to be patriotic is with just good British artists. I think that's fine. Um, Next up, the Neptunes. Now, the Neptunes are one of those artists. I mean, super producers, one of the biggest 
production houses in the history of of pop music so i was really excited to see they were on this and i don't know entirely what i was expecting from uh pharrell at all, at all to be honest but i i kind of felt like a little bit disappointed in this i didn't think it was bad i thought it was really well done but i thought it kind of felt like something that could just be an edm remix from a b-side of the single in the 90s do you know what i mean El? is that is that fair to say Oh, I just thought it was completely phoned in. I was like, oh, the Neptunes, this is going to be good. And I was like, wow, this is really boring. Did they even, Did they just not bother that day? It's like, surely there was something better they could have done than this. There's just nothing to it. This is the most disappointing um, song on the record for me, I think, because the Neptunes, when you think of the work that, I mean, I, I was really excited about this because I don't even think you've, you've even heard the name the Neptunes in fucking forever. They had a couple of like singles out last year. And when you think of how responsible they were for revolutionising the sound of modern music at the start of the 2000s, like that, that cutting edge production work they did on so many records around that time that completely revolutionised the way that popular music sounded. And obviously, like, Pharrell, like you say, is a superstar in his own right at this point, even if he's not really done anything that sounds great to me. But I was like, oh, shit, this sounds oddly dated. I mean, maybe it shouldn't shock me that it does sound dated. And it's dated a bit harsh. I, I don't know, but it just felt more reminiscent of another time. And you've just come off two songs which do sound like very cutting edge in their specific genres for that time. And this, it, it just sounded like a throwback. And I was like, that's quite disappointing to hear the Neptune sounding old and creaky. That made me feel fucking old, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's that's kind of what I'm getting at, really. It's like the other two songs, you could not have heard something like that, even probably, you know, 15 years ago, let alone when this album came out. But the Neptune's cover, I just felt like, oh... This feels like something I've heard before, which is disappointing because, yeah, I agree. I was really excited for them. Uh, John Partney is next doing Wherever I May Roam. Another country lad from Nashville as well. That's pretty legit. Um, I think this is really good fun. It has fiddles in it, which gives it... The weird thing is, if I say, you know, someone's done a country version of Wherever I May Roam and it's got fiddles in it, you kind of think it's going to make it a bit like Hey Diddly Ho Down. But it gives it a surprisingly dramatic edge that the track didn't have in that specific way before. Um... And uh, I wasn't really expecting it was going to go that way from the opening cover. So I thought it would be quite predictable, but it was slightly, caught me slightly unawares and I quite liked it, actually. What did you think of this one, Steve? Yeah, I mean, it's the only one that kind of looks back before the song was made rather than looking forward from after the song was made, if, if that makes sense, isn't it? It's from a kind of a time prior to this, you know, it's it's country and western with fiddles and stuff. And um I think it's quite a good, again, country and western, wherever I may roam. It makes sense, you know. It's nice to hear a version of the song that sort of suits what the lyrical themes of the song is. And, you know, like, I don't think he does loads with it other than add a little bit of fiddle. But um, that sort of is enough, really, just because I think it absolutely makes sense for what the song is about, sort of thematically what the song is, you know, where this guy's coming from, the, the, the kind of the stylistic similarities between metal and country music are really encapsulated within this song in general, I think. So um, I think it would have, it would have missed a trick to have not heard some sort of version of that. Fair. Uh, anything else to add to all that, Al? Uh, I just like the fact that there are some country versions on here. Like we had that sort of bluegrassy one earlier. There have been a lot of bands in the past that have covered Metallica in a sort of country slash 
Bluegrass Way. There was that band that did Fade to Bluegrass, like a few different tribute albums to Metallica, the band Iron Horse. And, um, you know, the way Hatfield sings and, and that kind of thing. I he think, loves it. Yeah, they do lend themselves to country reinterpretations. So I don't think any of those on here particularly stand out as being um, weird or strange. And I think this version is just, yeah, it's cool. It's fine. I don't think it's like amazing, but I think it's quite good. Fair, fair, fair. Uh, the next thing is one of the weirdest things on this album in a lot of ways. And it also, I've got to admit, it annoyed me a little bit because it actually uh, takes in two songs from the Black Album, but they're not ones that are next to each other on the track list. So it ruins it. It ruins it at the end. Um, but uh, it's French DJ Sebastian and he's done Don't Tread On Me. Um, uh, so this is the first uh, Don't Tread On Me cover or reimagining on here, actually. But then it, it moves into Nothing Else Matters at the end. Um, and it's really weird. It's like he's just done two completely different versions of two songs that don't sit next to each other on the album and then just stitched them together for the fuck of it. Um, he's got this kind of, he's created a kind of housey, funky version of Don't Tread On Me. Um, it's got this almost weird, like, something about the production on it. It was almost like the way you make me feel by Michael Jackson on it. Like it's got this kind of da 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 thing under it. Uh, which is really interesting. And then it seeps into Nothing Else Matters with all these dramatic added strings and horns that evolves into this epic Justice-style house banger. It's just really, really weird. And uh, out of all the things on here, I think it's the one that um, i come back to the most because it's just like, I can't get my head around it. What do you think of this, Steve? This is my favourite song on the entire thing. Oh, really? I wasn't I... expecting that. What? Yeah. The transition is not seamless. <laughs> I don't care. No, I don't want it to. I don't need it to be. This guy, so so Sebastian has produced like Charlotte Gainsborough, Kavinsky, Frank Ocean. He's got a pretty impressive CV. But he goes full fucking proper Phil Collins to this, right? It's like 80s funk sounding shit, which I fucking just roll me over and tickle my tummy. And all of this sort of indie electro type stuff is, is very... Very, you know, that's a, a sort of cool thing at the moment. Um, there's a band that I love from Norway called Aiming for Enrique. And they're basically like, it sounds a bit like something they do. And they're basically sound like if Meshuggah, Duran Duran and Aphex Twin all decided to cover Prince. And so he does that with Don't Tread On Me. And like you said, it's got this like, ding, 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 it sounds like some sort of Miami Vice soundtrack. And then he just goes into Nothing Else Matters, puts loads of strings on it. And then you're just bombarded with noise and this massive build before you get that broken beat part coming in. I mean, it's so great. <laughs> I feel like it's you're just saying man. that to have a controversial take. It's literally two songs cut and shut together. Like, yeah, I get that he's done interesting things with both halves, but they're so incongruous. They just don't go together at all. I, quite, I kind of almost admire the obnoxious obnoxiousness of it because it's so obnoxious to just go well i'm not going to do two songs i'm, gonna, I'm sorry i'm not going to do one song i'm going to do two tracks they don't sit next to each other so they're going to stick out and i'm not even going to try to mix them together i'm just going to go here's this one here's this one deal with it uh, but, it's fucking brilliant but i do think it's both parts are really good I, I agree with steve it's not my favorite thing on the album but it's 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 one of the things there weren't many times on this album, especially because I'd heard, you know, I'd heard the Biffy song before, I'd heard the St. Vincent song already. It's one of the, th the, listening to the whole thing for the first time, it's one of the only times on the album when I went, what the fuck is going on? But I yeah. did it about four or five times, which is quite like, 
quite a good sign. So you've got to, you've got to respect that, if nothing else. I am then, surprised by your reaction, though, Steve. There's a lot of swearing going on here. Just because you're swearing, it doesn't mean it's good. What? Just because I'm swearing? It doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. Wash your putty he's, mouth out. I know, he's, it's brilliant. Uh, like, it's... That sound at the moment is, like, my favourite thing. And he's done a Metallica version of, like... Like you say, shit like Justice, like... I, I want to hear that. That's like really amazing. Making a kind of day glow. Uh, what is it? What's the um, the the like eighties style Grand Theft Auto game? What's that called? Vice City. Vice City. It's like it's like something out of Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Like you're right. It's super obnoxious. Really weird. Really tongue in cheek. I imagine it would upset like old school Metallica fans, which is great. Um, I don't know if it would. I think there's plenty on there that people would like. It's not kind of uh... no, 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 no. Not 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 normal people. I mean, people who are like, well, I'll listen to this even though I hate the Black Album. Those people, the Dave, <laughs> the Dave. It was they were better when Dave Mustaine was in a band. People, it would probably like really, really annoy them, which is is great. And um, I just think it's really good. There's one other one. I think the weird, the weirder you can go with a lot of these things, if you can get like the kernel of the song still there, then that's really good. I like this is this is great. I mean, I would imagine if I was to play like Maserati or Aiming for Enrique, Eleanor, you'd probably think it was just a horrible load of old shit as well. But I just like I just like sort of noisy eighty sounding bands, and there's loads of them around at the moment, and um, yeah, it's really good. I think. It is bloody, bloody good. Um, I, I mean, it's. I'd, I'd love to see what uh, you could do with other stuff like this, to be honest. Uh, Portugal the Man, uh, do Don't Tread On Me Next. Not familiar with this lot, to be honest. Psychedelic Rock from Alaska. They give the song a kind of quite claustrophobic psychedelic take. Um, it's good fun, uh, and it bursts into this kind of pacey, garage, rocky midsection as well. It's kind of all over the place, but in a really fun way. I thought it was all right. What do you think of this one, uh, L? Uh, I didn't really think anything of it to be honest. I don't think I have anything to contribute to a discussion on it. I just kind of listened to it and went, "Well, that was a song." I just not really for me. It's um, Aaron Bean from uh, Red Fang is on it as well. I did not clock that. I don't think he's listed mm. on the on the track list. Um, yeah, he's he's on Spotify. Um, oh, didn't even spot yeah. That. I mean, you should like sort of hipster indie rock. I mean, I never got they're sort of a bit like Portugal the Man. They're a bit like. You know, TV on the radio or something like that. I suppose it's sort of comparable. It's kind of weird. It's kind of all over the place. I'm not sure if this wants to be like turn it into a little whimsy indie song, or if they're just trying to be like a big hard rock banger. So they sort of try and do both, which is a cool idea. But I mean, coming after what we've just heard, it does feel a bit, you know, whatever. Fair. Uh, what the hell's next? Oh, Volbeat's next. This is Volbeat just doing. Don't tread on me. We said earlier, Weezer just did their thing. Raw Blood just did their thing. This is just Volbeat doing Don't Tread on Me. What I will say uh, for Volbeat is their guitar tone, which is clearly based off James Hemphill's guitar tone, and uh, Michael Poulsen's vocals means, well, this for me is one of the only, and I am not by no means like a gigantic Volbeat fan, but for me, this is one of the only times a rock band plays a straight rock cover of this of a Metallica song and I think it works and I would be surprised if they haven't already played this live to be honest because it just sounds like something they just had ready to go immediately um 
you know, it's Volbeat doing Don't Shut On Me. That's more than enough. Uh, I feel like I should come to you, Elle, for this next song. The Who doing Through the Never. My goodness me. The second uh, uh, major Metallica cover they've done. They have hooed the fuck out of it. There's jaw harps, throat singing, Mongolian stringed instrumentation everywhere. They're singing a Mongolian. It's just mad and brilliant. I'm guessing you probably dug this, Elle. I love this one. I'm a huge fan of The Who. And I love Sad But True slash Sad But Who. And Through The Never sounds really cool. It's just so much fun. And I love that they always keep their Mongolian instrumentation. They sing in Mongolian. They've not changed it just because Metallica are an American band. And I think Gala, the singer, is probably the only person on this record that can match Hetfield for intention and power. He's so strong when he sings and he sounds like he really means it. And yeah, that kind of intention and that power they put behind everything because The Who obviously brand their music Honey Rock and they sort of try to evoke the feeling of like being in the Mongolian steppe. That's and... uh, that's Honey Rock, by the way, not Honey Rock. <laughs> what did I say? Going. I thought I said Honey Rock. No, no, you said it right, but it sounded <laughs> it just sounded quite quick and it sounded a bit like Honey Rock and I just thought that's a different thing. <laughs> it's probably my northern accent. But yeah, they put power into everything they do. Like when you go to their shows, everybody's singing like, or chanting like, who, who? And they have all their promo videos, like their mouths open screaming and... They, you know, they have this kind of like warrior sort of status going on. And I just think that for a Metallica song, that is such a great fit because there's so much power behind it. And I'm fully in on this song. Yeah, it's banging. Um, The next version of Through the Never, uh, I found, I mean, I had not heard of this artist. It's Tomi Owo, who is a a Nigerian R&B artist. Um, I wasn't familiar with her work at all. And this is one of those where someone has turned the song into something completely different and given it totally different meaning, totally different emotional hits. Um, she's managed to turn Through the Never into a smooth, slightly produced pop song. And I think it sounds fucking brilliant. This is one of my problems, maybe even after Biffy, this might be my favourite cover on the whole thing. Uh, it's so far removed from the original that if I didn't know what it was to start with, it would probably take me half a verse to even clock what I was listening to. Um, there's still a little bit of some of Hetfield's riffage woven into the track, but it's mostly kind of hidden until the end when it kicks into the breakdown and then it kind of, even there it's done it, it's kind of brought in in a really clever way. Um, this is one that I thought it was so good that I immediately went and checked out her other stuff because I just wasn't familiar with it. I loved this cover. Um, what did you think of it, Steve? Yeah, I agree. I think this is a fantastic cover. Really, really great. Um, I wasn't familiar with her work either, um, but she really reminds me, again, 80s, 80s soul like sort of shimmering 80s soul pop which is something that i fucking love like soul to soul and and all that kind of stuff that was happening back then and it's really it's really great but it's also kind of updated you know the production on it is brilliant and then like you say when when you've finally got used to what she's doing with the song and you're like oh my god this is you know this is a fucking this is actually a cover of um you know through the never but you kind of forget that like you say because it's such a different song and then when that riff drops in you are legit again it's like double it's shocking on two levels not shocking but like really really surprising um yeah i thought this was excellent really really excellent i mean i thought the who version that i didn't get to mention i think is really good because it's got a lot of their personality in it and again this is like Two, there's only two versions of this song and both of them have probably as much personality in them of, of the of their artists and 
almost any other song of the entire record. It's really good. Yeah, very fair. Back I battle. love this one too. Yeah, I love this song. Um, out of all the kind of clumps of songs, Through the Never is my favourite clump. Like like you said, both of these are just really, really good versions of it, whereas some of the other ones, like, I mean, there's a million versions of Nothing Else Matters. It kind of gets diluted, but both of these are great. Yeah, fully backed. Uh, there are actually one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve versions of Nothing Else Matters, which is a bit like... I mean, we'll get into it, I guess. You kind of feel like if you're going to do Nothing Else Matters, you best not just do an acoustic standard cover because it ain't going to work. But there are some actual uh, exceptions to that rule. Um, first up, Phoebe Bridges, uh, increasingly prominent uh, artist, I feel like, kind of makes the headlines a lot uh, and does loads of really good stuff as well. Um, she's kind of kept the essence of the song here. She's turned it into more of a kind of moody, breathy piano ballad. I think it's okay. I quite like the crunchy electronic elements that come in at the end. Um, but there are some, you know, there are some good versions of this song on here. And I think this one, if it was the only version of Nothing Else Matters on here, you'd probably say this is pretty good. But I think it pales in comparison to some of the other covers, to be honest. Uh, what do you think, El? Yeah, totally. Um, full disclosure, I'm not a massive fan of Phoebe Bridges. I think what she's done with it is nice. I like the kind of gentle piano parts and I like the fact it feels a bit sinister and unsettling. Um, and But I think my problem with her music is often that she sounds kind of ethereal and I don't feel like there's much substance. And I always feel like I'm just not getting something about her music and I keep going back to it and thinking like, what am I missing? But it almost feels like with this track it could... I like the atmosphere of it, but it just almost feels like it's so delicate it could be blown away, which literally doesn't make any sense as a sentence. But yeah, it just doesn't quite have enough for me to hold on to in it. That's fair. Steve? Um, I, I love Phoebe Ridges. I think Punisher that came out last year is fucking a great record. The last song on that record, Eleanor, you should listen to that, which I think is probably the best song she's done. I can't remember the name of it as I've made, but if you want to try and get into her, I think like I think she's amazing personally. Um this is a kind of like a, I, I put it down like a Tim Burton esque version of Nothing Else Matters. I think she makes it sound a bit creepier. She's got a little tiny bit of a gothic vibe to it. Um the piano is incredibly delicate, which I like. It feels like she kind of deconstructs it before she puts it back together. Having said that, although I do like Phoebe Bridges and I don't mind this version and I like the idea of it, I don't actually think it is one of the better versions of this song particularly. But Phoebe Bridges as an artist uh, is is great. Fair. I think we've just got about all, all opinions uh, represented there across Phoebe Bridges and this cover. Uh, next up comfortably the most famous cover that's come off this set Miley Cyrus uh, featuring a ton of other names as well including Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers for some reason on drums and uh, Elton John who does a great bit of stuff on the piano here as well I love what he does on here um, uh, everyone's heard this song we don't really need to do it but I mean I, I think it's fucking great I think Miley sounds amazing anyone disagree? No, I think her voice sounds great. Again, it's got that emotion in it and the sort of the low pitch of it uh, sounds like it really means something. And then, yeah, it's just like they threw a load of money at a load of massive people who all did things really well. <laughs> Good for it's all like, of them. Yeah. Um, next. I, I don't oh, sorry, care for it very much. I don't care for it very much. <laughs> That's fine. 
That's fine. <laughs> well, one I suspect you may be more invested in, Steve, is uh, David Gahan from Depeche Mode doing Nothing Else Matters. He's moulded it into an eerie, electronic, obviously I'm going to say gothic, kind of lullaby almost. Really haunting, really atmospheric. I think it's really cool. Big old Depeche Mode fan, Stephen Hill. What did you think of this? Well, I mean, Dave Gahan is maybe the greatest ever living human uh, to exist uh, he's in Depeche front Depeche mode he's amazing obviously but I wasn't that keen on all of on this version particularly which I'm very disappointed to say it's almost like Martin Gore's the main one in Depeche mode isn't it um, there is some <laughs> really cool shit going on in the background but I expected Dave to sort of sexy this up a bit I mean you know this is a guy who writes songs about you know, like behind the wheel is definitely about getting shagged by a strap on in it. Like, absolutely. So he's and he's got songs about getting fisted. Like, I thought he's going to turn this into a sort of um, a BDSM, sexy, slinky sort of goth anthem. And he hasn't really done that. Uh, and I think that's when he's at his best. I do like the way that he lets it kind of fizzle out as a song. That's cool. But look, I'm not going to say anything bad about Dave Gahan. I love him. But <laughs> I, I, but although I just have. Um, I, I love Dave Gahan. I don't want to say that I don't care for this song that much, but I don't actually think it's that good. Dave oh. Gahan stood behind you with a gun right now. <laughs> no, no. I know. I'm glad you said that because, again, I thought I was just missing something. And there's a couple of them here that I've obviously wanted to get and not really got. And I loved Depeche Mode too. And I wanted something that was sexier and that really like brought you in. And this felt to me, I get the stylistic choice and I respect the stylistic choice, but it feels more lightweight than what I would have wanted. And I'm kind of glad it's not just me. To be That's honest. fair. Just goes to show as always, you can't trust the goths. Uh, Mickey Guyton <laughs> is the next one. Leave us alone. <laughs> there's a few. There's a few. Let's let's go for a few on here because there's so many fucking versions on this song. A uh, few more versions. Nothing else matters. Uh, Mickey Guyton, who's a, a country pop artist from Texas, uh, adds a bit of kind of beat and clap to the song, more electronic elements. Smidgen of country going on here, but not kind of as much as other artists. Uh, you've also got Dermot Kennedy, Irish singer songwriter. Uh. You've probably heard some of his songs. Uh, total chart fodder um, and. Uh, uh, this is a kind of again, kind of overall piano string version. Uh, also, they, got... they they should they should fucking add a Louis Walsh monologue to the end of the <laughs> fucking Dermot because it is absolute X Factor shit. Yeah. I hated it. It was awful. That's fine. We'll, we'll we'll do all of these in. Don't worry. We'll get takes on all of these. Uh, you've got uh, Lon Mafert as well, who's a Chilean artist. This is a Spanish version of the track. Lots of really gorgeous extra guitar melodies in there. I think I heard some like pan pipes or something as well. Certainly some woodwind going on. Uh, Castanets. I think I saw it. Heard a bit of as well. So definitely different vibe uh, there's also Igor Levitt who is a Russian pianist uh, and this is pretty much just a piano version of uh, Nothing Else Matters sans uh, vocals uh, nothing really to write home about in that sense until the final 90 seconds or so um, where he just kind of goes off and starts improvising uh, anything to say about these few L Mickey Guyton Dermot Kennedy Mon Lafert and Igor Levitt I like the Mon Lafert one I thought that was cool um, and it's just like yeah it's it's just kind of a cool arrangement and um you know she's singing in spanish and that's cool there's you know like i said there's a kind of a lot of that sort of stuff going on this record um yeah nice atmosphere basically and i really like that igor levitt 
the piano one and I was just like I kind of knew what was coming like I knew it was going to be a piano one and I was like oh boring and I listened to it I was like oh my gosh like it's really good it's really 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 good um it's beautiful completely it blew me away um Ooh. uh what else did you say uh Kennedy, not interested yeah. not interested uh yeah and uh, yeah, Mon Lafette. Uh, any thoughts on any of those, Steve, apart from uh, Dermot Kennedy, which I think was a very fair comment? <laughs> um, I thought Mickey Gayton, uh, Gayton, as if you say, I'm not familiar with her, but I think she's a sort of country artist who didn't do a straight sort of country thing. Not bad. Um, Mon Lafette was sort of like a Last of the Mohicans version of this song. It's sort of like this, the kind of thing you'd... If, if Quentin Tarantino remade like The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, I think that we'd get a kind of version that sounds a bit like that in it. I don't care for it that much, although I did like the woodwind at the end. Um, Igor Levitt... Oh, yeah, panpipes at the beginning as well. Don't mm. leave them out. Oh, yeah, like, I didn't mind that. I thought it was fairly interesting. Uh, Igor Levitt is, like, I kind of... I like some of this sort of neoclassical pianist. Um, like, Ludovico Arnaldi is amazing, I think. Um people will probably have heard a lot of his soundtrack stuff and I was so I had quite high hopes for this but I just didn't think that he sounded that bothered I thought I think he phoned it in a little bit to be honest yeah I felt awful for saying this and I felt like a bit of a philistine because I don't know it just didn't seem like something I should say but I thought it sounded like something that should be getting played in a nice hotel lobby rather than I really liked it that's all right screw you guys that's fine you're probably more cultured than us there's nothing wrong with something being played in a piano in a hotel lobby. I would find that exceptionally relaxing. Well, no, but I wouldn't say that about, like, Napalm Death, would I? So it's, like, a slightly <laughs> different vibe. I think when you've got this many covers of Nothing Else Matters, you can afford to have an instrumental sure, cover. Sure, that's fair. Um, my Morning Jacket, who uh, I have to admit, I'm not overly... You know, I've, I've heard of them, of course, but I've really not listened to them a whole lot. Kentucky Rockers. Um, I found this cover quite amusing. It turns Nothing Else Matters into a kind of upbeak rock bot that sounds like it should be like soundtrack in the moment two characters in a rom-com finally come together in the final scene or something it's really like definitely takes it to a different place what did you think of this steve uh, my morning jacket are uh, charlie simpson from busted's favorite band okay. I know, again no i've not been that involved with them i think they've got an album called at dawn which is really good but um, look, but I was just I was like, oh my god, you don't have to do this song just as a ballad. Who knew? I mean, I don't, I don't love it, but I really appreciated not having to listen to yet another terrible, identical, slow cover of this song. But it's not great. It's just a jaunty little indie song. Like, I, good for doing it slightly differently. Thank fucking Christ! After God knows how many covers of this song that all sound <laughs> the same, but it's not great. Fair. Uh... PG Roxette, who is Per from Roxette, um, this, you know, 80s legend. Uh, and this is quite a throbbing, kind of quite EDM cover. It's all right. It's quite 80s. thought it was fine. Eh, what did you think of this? It's what Dave Gahan should have done. You get fucking Pear from Roxette off trying to do a bad Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> I mean, that's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to do a good Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys. He's doing a bad <laughs> Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys. So I was like, chuck him off the track, get Dave Gahan on that track. And that's what I reckon that would have worked. That would have been the one, I reckon. Because musically, I quite like this, but he's not got the voice for it. He's not the got the pipes. What do you think, Al? No. What do you think of Roxette Man? Yeah, I'm not really fussed. It's got a cool beat that's got big 80s vibes. It's fine. 
Uh, I'd agree. Just put Dave Gahan on there. Fine. <laughs> I just, it's fine, isn't it? It's fine. Um, I think I'm, I qu- I'm quite disappointed with it. the nothing else matters covers in a sense because you kind of see them and you think, well, some a lot of people must have done something with this because the easiest thing to do would be just to do a slightly different emotional overall version and a lot of people did that. Uh, let's round up the nothing else matters covers. There's still three more if you can believe that. Uh, Darius Rucker from Hootie and the Blowfish uh, does another kind of slightly countryfied version, although it's kind of swelling with a lot of synths and strings and various other atmospherics. Got a pretty big climax to it. I kind of think when people do this with Nothing Else Matters, I think it's good. But when you've got the SNM version of Nothing Else Matters out there already, do you need this? I don't really know. Uh, you've also got Chris Stapleton, another country heavyweight. Um, very kind of bluesy outlaw take on the song. Pretty good. I quite like his vocals on this as well. They follow a slightly different pitch to Hetfield, so it makes it sound a bit different. Uh, you've got Trezor or Trezor as well, who is a Congolese singer-songwriter. Uh, he's given Nothing Else Matters a kind of low-ebb, electronic-y makeover. Um, well, it kind of seems like it's going to do that, and then it does kind of end up following the same template again to be honest uh anything to say on, on these three final covers of nothing else matters steve well darius rucker can, and his fucking yarling twangy bullshit can fuck right off frankly <laughs> um i don't really like country music particularly i have very little love for country music in general particularly modern country music but if you ask me to name one person who i thought was good at doing it right now i'd say chris stapleton traveler his debut album is really good really good and from the sort of opening slide guitar part that you get on it you're already a million miles away from i would say well certainly darius rocker but most of the covers of this song i think his voice is great it doesn't really up the pace but he definitely does give it that kind of slow hand blues feel rather than making it a kind of ballad it's very rootsy sounding and it's sort of finally a version on the on this record that i actually really liked a lot and it's i believe it's the longest song on the entire record and you're kind of exhausted of nothing else matters at this point but weirdly despite it being the longest song i didn't think it outstayed its welcome at all which is very very impressive considering he 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 kind of stretches it out to over eight minutes um i thought it was easily the best version of nothing else matters fair fair comment l i like that version as well i fell down a little uh google rabbit hole because i hadn't heard of him before and he's obviously kind of yeah a rising star but um, or a star in his own right, rather in the country music genre. He played but the Brits with Justin Timberlake a couple. Of I years just ago. didn't. I just didn't know about him at all. Yeah, I just yeah. started reading all these like news stories about him. Um, but I was so tired by this point because there's <laughs> it's so, fucking knackering, there's so isn't it, many bit? versions. I just felt like I wanted to go to sleep. I was really excited about this record, and I enjoyed sitting down listening to it. And I've listened to it all the way through, probably. I don't know, like three times and then gone back to individual songs to listen to bits that I wanted to hear again. And it's just this nothing else matters section that gets me every time. And I just think I am so fatigued Mm. because there's just not enough variation for me. Um, Yeah, nothing else really to add. I think all the nothing else matters are fine and quite like the Chris one, quite like the Miley one. Um like the eagle one but it's just yeah it's just a lot i can feel the energy draining out of you even if you had to talk about it <laughs> let's let's move on it's just so tiring yeah it's fine we've done the nothing else matter section uh in a complete uh spin of events um uh, there's only one cover of a wolf of man on here by goodnight texas uh american folk band and they are properly folked up uh of wolf of man 
Um, I think this one works quite well as well. It teases out these quite kind of warm, emotional tones from the song that I never really felt in the original. Uh, so I, li- I like this cover quite a lot. I enjoyed it. What did you think of this one, Steve? It's a bit like uh, music from a Wes Anderson movie, isn't it? Well, I don't know if that's an insult or a compliment because I know a lot of people that love Wes, <laughs> love Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, I'm one of them. Um, there you go then. <laughs> I, yeah, so no, I don't think it is. a. I think it's really good that it's different. Um, it's not terrible and fair play to them for making this particular song work. But I think the original, like I love A Wolf of Man, the original by Metallica. And it's so good that I'm not sure I can get that out of my head during this song. I don't think this is a bad version. I think it's actually quite a good version. But the the Metallica is the, the one time where the Metallica original was just like so imprinted in my brain that I couldn't quite shake it for some reason. So I don't know. I, don't, I feel like I didn't enjoy it quite as much. But I think this is a good, it's an interesting version. And yeah, music from a Wes Anderson film is not an insult coming from me. That's all right honest, then. By the way. Any thoughts, Al? We've got a, a feature in the latest magazine, the one with Jerry on the cover, which is all about the blacklist. And we interview some of the artists on this record. Good plan. And we interviewed Goodnight Texas. And um, one of the members, Avi, is also a Metallica roadie and he's performed with them. And the other, uh, he's a co-frontman. The other co-frontman is somebody called Patrick Dyer Wolf. And they actually said in our piece, they really like the song and they've always liked it. Uh, but also Pat's last name is Wolf. So anything with that in the title, we gravitate towards. And uh, yeah, just thought that was quite funny. Good for them. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't really add anything, but it made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. Though. Like uh, if you want to read even more, not so much about the opinions of this uh, uh, collection, but you want to read about the making of it and some of the artists that contributed. Uh, we've got interviews with Volby, Ghost. We've got Rina Sawayama in Metal Hammer, which I'm really excited about. We've got Biffy Clyro in Metal Hammer, probably for the first time in about 15 years or something. Um, and uh, yeah, we've got other people in there as well, all talking about their versions of these songs. Um, on to kind of getting into the home stretch now. We've made quite a good time on this, to be honest, guys. Uh, the Gods That Failed. Uh, just a couple of covers of this. First one is by Idols. I'm not a fan of Idols at all, and I thought this was rubbish, to be honest. So I'm going to hand over to Steve because he's. Probably- I hate them as well. I hate them and I tried, but I still hate them. Sorry. You idiots. You <laughs> absolute idiots. You absolute fucking couple of idiots. Well, all right. Idols- you like Idols. What did you think of this cover specifically? Th- this made me remember why I fell in love with Idols in the first place. Because I have to say, their last record, I wasn't as keen on the previous record um, as I was. I mean, Joy as an Act of Resistance is oh, it's just an unbelievably brilliant record. It's so, so brilliant. And this gives them the full dynamic range of rage to play with this song. And Joe Talbot as a vocalist is so 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 different to James Hetfield and I love the fact that Idols have found a way not to compromise the sound of them as a band in any way whilst also making this song work I think um, it's so different and it's almost borderline completely unrelated to the original um, to the point where you can't you can't even tell that it's a Metallica song but Idols as a band um they're, they're, they're just they're just great and they've really idols this idols 
the shit out of Metallica. And again, talking of British sounding stuff, this is an incredible, this is a, another British invention alongside grime. Post-punk is a British invention. And, you know, th there's not anything on this record that sounds more British than Idols, I don't think. Even Jason Status. Um, yeah, I like this. I think it's fucking great. That is fair. Um, the God That Failed, uh, yeah, the other the other God That Failed cover is by Melda May. Very different vibe. Irish singer-songwriter, something of a critical darling, I think. Um, she's turned God That Failed into a quite a cool kind of funky, like kind of a bit of a hoedown. There's like quite an interesting take on this one. What do you think of this, Elle? Yeah, it's, um starts off fairly true to the original and then it kind of goes into this more like laid back sort of thing. There were some nice harmonies. I think like it loses some of the impact and the bite. It's kind of subsumed into this kind of nice sort of song. But if it's a toss up between this and Idols, I'm definitely going to pick this because I just can't stomach Idols. Again, I've tried a million times. I like their ideas like lyrical ideas, but I just can't stomach the sound. My Friend of Misery, uh, three covers of this, I think. Yeah, three covers of this song. Uh, first, Cherry Glazer, a lo-fi uh, kind of noise rock US band. Quite liked elements of this cover, kind of some quite lush electronic elements to it, which is quite cool. It's a good stab at taking a song somewhere different. I think it works. I don't find it particularly like interesting. It just kind of comes and goes, but I kind of listened to it and thought, oh, this is all right. Thought, Steve? I, I didn't know Cherry Glazer and this has made me want to go and actually investigate other parts of the back catalogue because um, I really like this actually. I mean, I think, again, it feels like something that like Poppy might have done with this song and um, she's made the chorus of this song really pop in both sense of the world. And yeah, I really dig this. It's great little kind of great hi-hat stutter and a sort of Nine Inch Nails-esque guitar part that sits in the background of the track. And I thought those that kind of combination of stuff, along with really kind of leaning in on the poppier elements of the song or bringing out those sort of poppier flourishes in, in a song, which is not a very poppy song, let's be honest, um, really worked for it. I, I, I genuinely really like this. I thought it was great. Fair. Elle? I'm surprised you said that, Steve, because I thought you were going to shit all over it. I think it's really cool. I just really like it. It's just a really cool pop song. And it's got those years at the end that are almost like a little bit Riot Girl. It's just cool. It's just a cool song. Defo. Uh, the next version of My Friend of Misery is by um, Isaiah or Izia. I don't, I don't know how to say that. Sorry. It's French singer. Uh, and she turned Misery into what I'd probably describe as a kind of edgy, slightly scuzzy pop song. Um, I like the deviation into full-on 80s synth pop during the breakdown. That was really good fun. Um, kind of feel emotionally the same about this as I did about the Cherry Glazer version. I think it's like good. I like it. It didn't leave a particularly lasting impression, but I thought it was solid. What do you think, El? Yeah, same really. Uh, I liked. I like the sound of the song and what they've done with it, and that's it's kind of a poppy version as well. But I'm not massively keen on her voice because she does that kind of slightly affected thing which some female singers do and some male singers do too as well but there's a kind of like the intonation of the vocals it just gets to me a bit i can't like relax and enjoy it because it just it sounds really yeah like affected and put on steve um yeah i don't i think her voice is really bland proper kind of like doing that really 
Lizzie Hale wannabe super kind of obvious rock. What I said earlier about Rina Sawayama of when, which was like a very very small kind of note more than a sort of criticism, like trying to do like an obvious rock voice. I felt like this was a really kind of affected rock voice. I thought the arrangement is fairly obvious as well. Um, there's one bit where the guitar line went from a verse through into the chorus and sort of stayed the same, which is quite cool. And then you get all the kind of muse sci-fi bullshit at the end, which is <laughs> kind of so weird that it, that it was probably the best bit of the song. But yeah, I didn't care for it much, I have to say. Fair dues. Um, the next one, definitely one of the most interesting artists to appear on here. Uh, Jonathan, our reviews editor, was really excited about this when he heard that um, Kamazi Washington was on this uh, was on this mix because he really likes him. Critically adored jazz saxophonist. Um, I was really interested in this one, and it is completely fucking mad. Completely mad. Feels like he has disassembled the song entirely and then just built it back into something else from scratch. Um, like some of the other really interesting and good covers on here, you could almost miss what song it is at points because it's just so reimagined, um, and it just goes into full on improv jazz in the middle, which I am really not into generally speaking but because i don't know because it's kind of linked to metallica and it's just such an interesting reimagining i really really liked it um, i don't know who his vocalist is on this i don't know his band um, but she sounds really great really smooth and soulful um jazz is yes l hand up <laughs> i'm sorry she's called patrice quinn ah i think i saw her name down but i wasn't sure who was who because he has a few different vocalists on here um awesome uh, so yeah patrice quinn's voice is great Jazz is absolutely not my thing, but I thought this was really fucking cool. What did you make of it, uh, Steve? I love it. I like Kamazi Washington. He's wicked. His album Heaven and Earth from 2018 is lovely stuff. I'm not a massive, huge jazz fan, um, but I like a lot of... I do like I do like jazz. Anyway, he's straight in the scatting away and the drums are going all over the gaff. And again, like you say, you don't know, it doesn't sound anything like the original at all. The brass and those fills are amazing. When the piano comes in and the piano goes mad on it. I mean, so much of this goes mad. It's really, really something to behold. And again, you mentioned the, the vocals. Um, she's obviously a very dexterous and capable vocalist, but unlike so many people who do do this on this album, she never gets too showy, which I think is really, really cool. I think this... This Biffy and Sebastian are my three. They'll be my. They'll be my three favourites on the entire thing. Wow. And then probably Rina Sawayama as well. I think this is fucking great. And also, fun fact: um, this would be Cliff Burton's favourite song on this album. Interesting point. Well made. I see what you're getting at. I like it. Uh, L thoughts. Yeah, I loved it. It's brilliant. Like after sitting through so many versions of Nothing Else Matters, I was like, wow, this is cool. Um, I knew it was coming. Like you mentioned, Jonathan had sort of talked about him in one of our meetings we had and um it's so interesting and there's so much to explore in it and it's something that you can keep going back to and finding new things in and um just fantastic musicianship awesome love it uh we are we've we're done we're finished i'm actually shocked we managed to do this in why, why are you shaking your finger Got one more yeah well i'm, go, I'm going into the final one i'll do cut <laughs> me out <laughs> we are we're not we're not finished we are, done. Are we? we are finished with this final track um i am quite uh stunned we managed to do this in well under two hours to be honest um uh the final song only one cover of the struggle within but it's by one of the probably biggest artists on here rodrigo e gabriella 
Um, I think most people know who this duo are, but if you don't, world-famous Mexican guitar duo. They've, they've done all the kind of rounds on American TV and everything else. They've also done uh, quite a lot of metal stuff before, I think. So maybe it's not a huge surprise to see them do this. Um, I, find it's, I find it kind of weird that only one artist selected to do the final track, uh, especially because The Struggle Within is one of the thrashiest songs on the Black Album. It's one of the tracks that actually feels like it's kind of a clear evolution from what came before it, whereas a lot of other stuff on here was just a whole other ballgame for Metallica. Um, and it means that the, the whole album finishes on a, on a you know, flamenco-y, very good instrumental acoustic jam, which is, you know, maybe something of a, a palate cleanser. But um, it's just, I, I guess they're kind of hamstrung by the track listing in many ways but it's just like you get some segments like nothing else matters where you have these kind of dreary similar sounding takes one after the other and then you finish with this kind of jazz reimagining of my friend of misery and then an acoustic uh flamenco cover of the struggle within so it's a really interesting way to end the album um i thought it was good as well i liked it what did you think Hell? Yeah, it's cool. Um, so Rodrigo and Gabriela used to be in a metal band back in Mexico and they've done uh, covers of Metallica songs as well. So they're very well versed in Metallica. There's a really nice story actually in our print feature that talks about them uh, playing in Mexico City and all the fans uh, and they were all throwing fireworks on stage and apparently like Metallica freaked out about that and went off stage and... Um, the promoter had to come on and say, please stop so the band can come on and continue. And then the band walked on with a Mexican flag and everyone was like happy about it. And it was like a big loving type thing. But it's really cool to kind of hear their memories um, of getting into Metallica and of seeing Metallica. And it's so clear that they've been so influenced by them mm. that this is like a proper, proper tribute. And um, yeah, an interesting way to close the album. You kind of feel like it would close on a sort of stronger note in a way but this is actually quite quite a nice thing to have at the end of it steve yeah it's them doing sort of what they do and i guess what they've made a name for themselves in their career of doing isn't it i mean they've done lots of rock and metal so i think the most notable one probably would be their cover of stairway to heaven which has been you know is a big thing they toured with muse they, they opened for muse in stadiums back in the day i believe um it seems like a fairly obvious thing to do to get them to to end all of this i think i think they do what they do with most rock covers and they do this kind of um quite flamboyant flamenco guitar version of a well i was gonna say a a very well-known metal song but i suppose it's well it is a well-known metal song um it's all right i think it's good i think it's them just doing i it's it's even though it's completely different from the original it's still one of the least surprising things on it because if you've heard what they do yeah. you know exactly what they do and they do this they do this to like rock and metal songs all the time uh but it's cool it is cool um they're pretty cool yeah i've not really thought about them for about a decade but they're pretty cool yeah they are pretty cool uh and that is it that is i think comfortably the most in-depth review and dissection of this unbelievable collection you will hear anywhere i'm gonna put my neck out and say that right now um the blacklist is out right now of course across all streaming uh platforms i'm pretty sure there's a physical release coming as well i don't think it's out there quite yet uh, but as l has mentioned a couple of times if you want to read even more about the uh the blacklist you need to pick up our feature where we talk to a ton of the awesome artists that made it possible uh, before we kind of wrap up did you two manage to do your 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 dream track list did you do it 
They did. They did. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, we've decided to put together our ultimate blacklist, black album track lists, where we uh, we literally just pick one of each cover. Obviously, a couple we're kind of, you know, there's only one to pick, but we've picked one of each cover to make the ultimate blacklist black album. Uh, I'm just going to do mine first because I'm talking already. Uh, so for me, I've got Enter Sandman. Obviously, it's going to Rina Sawayama. Brilliant cover, brilliant artist. She just completely lived up to her expectation when I saw that her name was on here. Uh, for Sabbath True, I do have the St. Vincent cover. Um, I thought it was really good fun. Liked it, something different. Holier Than Now, obviously Biffy Clyro. It's not only the best cover on here, in my opinion, but I think it's one of the best covers I have ever heard. I really want them to play it live. Uh, I would genuinely be more excited to see Biffy play Holier Than Now now than I would see Metallica play it again, which is really saying something. Um, for The Unforgiven, I went with Moses Simney. Uh, I thought he had really interesting. I really liked his vocal on it. I thought it was captured the spirit of the original while doing something a little bit different. Um, even though it was imperfect, I did stick with Chasing Status for Wherever I May Roam. Uh, I went with Sebastian for Don't Tread On Me slash Nothing Else Matters just because it is mad. Uh, I went with Tony uh, Tommy Owo for uh, Through the Never. I love that. I think it probably is after Biffy, my favourite cover on the album. Uh, I was basic and went for Miley for Nothing Else Matters because I do think it's an awesome, very faithful but awesome cover. Uh, obviously, Goodnight Texas for A Wolf and Man. I went with Amelda May for The God That Failed. Gamazi Washington for My Friend of Misery. And uh, The Struggle Within, obviously, was Rodrigo e. Gabriela. So that was me. How about you, Stephen? Um, yeah, I went for Rina Sawayama, then to Sandman, Ovs. Uh, I went for YB on Sad But True. I was going to pick St. Vincent, but I don't think I, I didn't actually speak about YB, but I really like the YB version. I think at first I was like, well, I don't know anything about this band. And it sounds like they've done a fairly straight cover, but it's just a little bit of that little bit of extra pep that they gave it. Um, it's definitely the kind of best straight cover uh, on the record, pretty much, I would say. Obviously, Holier Than Now, Biffy Clyro, as discussed, is brilliant. Same as you, I went for Moses Sumney on The Unforgiven, just ahead of Flatbush Zombies, just um, just because I think he's got a little bit more of his own personality in that cover. Mm -hmm. And I think there's slightly more uh, craft put into it than The Flatbush, Flatbush Zombies. Mm -hmm. um, I went for Jay Balvin's cover of hey. Wherever I May Roam, just because I think it's... <laughs> We're going out. <laughs> just, yeah, just because it's really funny. Um, and um, I obviously went for Don't Shut On Me, Sebastian, because it's fucking mental. Uh, Tommy Obu for Through the Never also as well. Chris Stapleton's cover of Nothing Else Matters, I think is the best one, personally. Um, it's the only, I think it's probably the only one that I would ever listen to again. And I hate, so, uh, apart from Dave Gahan, that I just would listen to Dave Gahan because he's Dave Gahan. Um, obviously, Goodnight Texas, A Wolf and Man. Idols, The God That Failed. I quite like the Imelda May version of The God That Failed, actually, even though it's just a kind of slightly softer version of it. But Idols, absolutely tearing it to pieces, I think is brilliant. Kamazi Washington, ditto for my friend Misery doing that. And yeah, Rodrigo and Gabriela struggle with him because I didn't have any other choices. Very fair. Very fair. Elle? Uh, I feel very boring now because mine is basically the same as you, like the ones that you've picked, just with a couple of slight changes. But yeah, Enter Sandman, Re Rina Sawayama, just love her. Love that industrial beat. Love that song. Would listen to that a lot. 
sad but true went for the mexican institute of sound because i just liked how different that was and it's just really fun holier than thou biffy clyro the unforgiven moses sumney wherever my <laughs> wherever i may roam chasing status just because like i said i feel like i have to back the londoners uh don't try to me i didn't go for sebastian weird cut and shut thing but now i'm going to go back and revisit it steve's giving me a thumbs down i'm going to go back and revisit it and give it a bit more of a chance rather than just being like what the fuck um, i just went for volby just because it's uh volby was my second just, that volby was my second place oh, i just oh. went for it because i just think of any song on this record of course that's the one they would pick and of course it lends itself really well to be covered by them it's just a really kind of obvious choice that they do really solidly so i just went for that uh, through the Never, I went for The Who. Obviously, that's a really hard choice, but I just love The Who, so I was... Yeah, that, that was definitely the hardest choice, I think, but um, I, I love that Tommy or... I don't know if it is Tommy or Tommy, sorry, but Tommy Oro covers this Yeah, you can good. read more about her, actually, not in Metal Hammer, but on the Metallica website, there's a video of her talking about um, her cover. Um, nothing else matters. I just went basic for Miley, because in the end, I was just overwhelmed by it all and just went, well... That one has got lots of famous people on and is done very well and is well executed. And you had, if you had to pick one to play people, you'd probably just pick that one. Uh, of all for man, Goodnight Texas, obviously. The God That Failed. I just can't stand idols. I'm sorry. I picked Imelda May. My Friend of Misery, Kamasi Washington. And then The Struggle Within, obviously, Rodrigo and Gabriela. So it's quite a few that we all picked. We all went with Rena. We all went with Biffy. Uh, I think we all went with Moses. Uh, we all went with uh, obviously the ones that you have to pick and then yeah we all went with Kamazi as well so that's probably a pretty good we've got a fairly wide ranging set of tastes between us so that's probably a pretty good indication of how uh, how much those covers spoke to us lovely stuff thank you both so much for joining us for this week uh, as I said if you want even more go pick up the latest issue of Metal Hammer for more on the blacklist um, next week is a huge review roundup so many big albums are dropping this week we wanted to do the blacklist separately uh, so next week we're going to dig in to brand new albums from Spirit Box, Alien Weaponry, Carcass and Employed to Serve. It is a crazy few weeks for great albums and we're going to have a lot to say on all of those. Uh, don't forget, as I said, to pick up the new issue. Our exclusive Joey Jordison tribute is out right now. Go to tinyurl.com slash gethammer to get it online while you can or you're going to have to head to your local shop in the UK. Uh, and go visit our sponsors Killstar at tinyurl.com slash Killstar Hammer. We will see you next week. It's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Stephen L. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.